0: Blog Talk Radio. on the BookSpeak Network. I'm Sherry Knowlton. I write the Alexa Williams Suspense Series, Dead of Autumn, Dead of Summer, Dead of Spring, and the latest, Dead of Winter.
1: Hi, and I'm Jan West. I write the Carlisle Crime Cases Series, Dying for Vengeance, Courting Down Darkness, Darkness at First Light, How to Die Fall, and Things Strangled, which is my latest release last September, which features Carla, Homicide Detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. Today
0: we're talking about um, a topic that's at the top of almost everybody's mind these days, the COVID-19 pandemic, and what it will mean for the future. Specifically today, we're going to be talking to Sunbury Press publisher Lawrence Knorr about the groundbreaking book that Sunbury has just released, entitled, After the Pandemic, Visions of Life After COVID-19. This collection of essays by 25 Sunbury Press authors, including Knorr, including Larry, Lawrence Knorr himself, looks to the future in an uncertain time. Um, that's what all the commercials are saying these days, right, The Uncertain Time. Um, I think it's impressive that the book hit number one in its category on Amazon last weekend.
1: But let's introduce our guests first. Lawrence Knorr has co-authored or authored over 20 books, mostly history or biography. Two of his more recent books depict baseball legends, Eddie Plank, It's Gettysburg Eddie, and Carl Scheib, Wonder Boy, who was the youngest boy to sign with pro baseball. He also collaborate collaborates, excuse me, with Joe Farrell and Joe Farley on a series of books highlighting the grave sites of famous and notable Americans. The latest is titled Graves of Our Founders. The original series was called Keystone Tombstones. His other books encompass such divergent topics as rock and roll group Bang to a genealogy-based biography of Dwight David Eisenhower and his family. Lawrence also, I know, has been an adjunct professor for about 20 years and is a member of Society of American Baseball Research, or S-A-B-R, the Sons of the American Revolution, and numerous other historical organizations. He enjoys writing about the formerly famous and beloved Pennsylvania Dutch culture, He is a lifetime Penn State alum. But most important for today's discussion, Lawrence is the publisher of Sunbury Press, the independent press that publishes Sherry's and my books, as well as those of many other authors from the United States and around the world. Most recently, Lawrence took on the additional job of editing the book we'll be discussing today after the pandemic, Visions of Life after COVID-19. Welcome to the Milford House Mysteries, Lawrence.
2: Hello, happy to be here.
0: Well, um, let's plunge right in and um, ask you to tell us about the genesis of this book. I mean, I really like the idea that in the midst of all of this uh, trauma that we're going through, the world's going through, um, you came up with an idea to focus on the future, on what will happen on the other side of this pandemic. How did the idea for this collection of pandemic-related essays evolve? Um, what made you think Sunbury authors would be interested in the project? And, and what was your general goal in publishing the book?
2: Yeah, Well, I honestly, I had no idea what the response would be. And as you know, we put out a monthly newsletter to our authors, and I put out the call. I think it was either in that newsletter or a follow-up to it. So I I didn't know what the response would be and the response was was actually very strong. So what I I guess the inspiration for it was I woke up one morning and uh one of the areas that I teach is is business and economics and I've been really paying attention to the the stock market and uh, the shutdown and the economic impacts myself and and I was like, oh, my, you know, what's really going to happen here? And I started thinking about it and rattling it off in my brain. I said, you know what, there are so many potential impacts here. And wouldn't it be great to get, you know, a few dozen opinions from different people and see if we can, you know, be visionary. Let's look a few months out, a few years out and try to project uh, where's, where are these events going to take us? What will life be like? Uh, and that that kind of helps you uh work through the present get you know get past all the the fear and uncertainty but also to begin preparing for eventualities so i think it was healthy to do it for all of us Mm
1: -hmm. well you've touched on this a bit but could you tell us more about the process and the way the authors contributed and um did you have more submissions than you could use and as the editor Uh, how did the vetting of the essays go? Not so much the writing, because I'm sure the authors were comfortable with the genre, but the effectiveness of their thesis.
2: Yeah, so we were looking for a variety of pieces on different subject matter, different angles. We did get more than we put in the book, and the primary Uh, differentiator there was it had to be visionary. So if you were just mm -hmm. writing about how I feel about the current state, and you didn't really have a view into, well, how it's going to change or what does it mean, we didn't include it. We also didn't include any that were just overtly political one way or the other. So we really tried to make this volume just about um, the situation and the future without getting political, so not naming parties, candidates, you know, office holders or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. just trying to be apolitical as much as possible. So if somebody got too partisan, either way, <laughs> we just we just didn't include it. Uh, now, the book, we did turn it around in about 30 days, which is an incredible pace. So credit to the authors. The authors had to get their manuscripts in, so they had to write uh, them. Actually, it was 30 days from when they were submitted. So maybe it was actually almost a month and a half from the call until it was published. And uh, so during that time, we had to we had to edit and then came the trick of what order do we put this in and, you know, how do we group things? So there was some thought to that. Uh And of course, the little snippets of bios of the authors and all the little bits that have to be put together to actually produce a product. Crystal Divine did a tremendous job under a lot of pressure with 25 different authors and an editor who's her boss (laughs) giving her feedback. So she she said to me one day she's like my this is interesting juggling all these people <laughs> and uh, just a big kudos to her for for sticking it out and of course the cover had to be designed too so I took that on myself and and found this um, this this creepy image of the virus I guess taken at a great um, under a microscope. That's in the public domain. I think you've seen that very image used again and again, many places. I think it comes from the CDC or someplace. So we used that image on the, as part of the cover, and, and went from there. So came together, got it out in print and an uh, the ebook. There was some resistance at Amazon to us publishing it, although we were able to get it out through Ingram in print pretty rapidly. Amazon was censoring us for a while because they didn't want to publish a book that might offer advice about uh, medical uh, situations. And I had to point out that there's a rival book out there that's projecting the future, and there's no medical advice at all in this book. It's all about um, experts' opinions on what's gonna happen. So as soon as they, they read my feedback there, then they turned it around in 24 hours. and uh, Now it's out in the market. And as you mentioned, it hit number one last week, which is in its category, which is a wonderful, because the profits are being donated to uh, to charity, we haven't selected the exact charity yet, but we're looking at first responders and the homeless as uh, two areas we want to do something with. Now, I don't know how much money there's going to be, but you know, every little bit helps. Oh,
0: well, good. Yeah. Well, um, you know, one of the things that you've already Touched on a little bit in the fact that you know you had different categories and different uh focuses of the essays could Could you give our listeners a taste of some of the topics that the essays deal with, um, to me, it, it seemed fairly broad and, and comprehensive. Um, and um, as I was um, reading the book, I, I haven't finished the whole thing yet, but I noticed that most of the authors have some degree of expertise on the fields they wrote about, although was, is it possible that some of them are just people with a strong interest in their, um, their chosen topics? um you know and are they meant to be controversial um or are they more meant just to provoke um introspection and thought um about the the future
2: yeah i think i think it's the latter and and everybody spoke from their own personal experience so about half of the authors have de- advanced degrees or degrees in the areas that they wrote about Others like a Tom Malafarina, who's a horror author, has an incredible yeah. imagination about these things, so he he went uh, and riffed on that for a little while, which was um, very interesting how his take on uh, on what future pandemics might be like uh, there's a lot of family introspection, you know people thinking about their role as a parent or as a grandparent and How are the different generations affected? Uh, There's, of course, medical, um, an MD who weighs in on what being a doctor will be like and how you'll treat patients in your office. Uh, We had an economist, uh, a PhD, who wrote about the impacts on health insurance with the looming unemployment that's out there in the system that we have in place. And this is like probably the biggest test to that system that we've ever had. Uh, we've had people write about education at different levels, whether that's higher ed, homeschooling, or elementary. Uh, I know that I also did a survey of the economy, the economy and trade from a more from a macro level, but looking at different industries, trying to project uh, which industries will be winners and losers. Uh, I can. I'm running out of
0: uh, – I could take up a well few no, more. i have to have a, a book good. in
2: front of me. But, yeah, there's some more topics, Yeah, too. it's a pretty
0: good sample of, of, of topics. Oh, topics. Yeah, sports, um, um, I know I was really interested in the yeah. travel ones because, you know, I'm a big traveler, um, and right. there were two essays on travel. I found both of them interesting.
2: Yeah, they, they, when you think about travel, uh, we've already had all the changes due to terrorism some time ago, 20 years ago. And now we have this, and it's uh, it's interesting to see how many more measures will be necessary so that people will feel safe to travel. And, you know, it's all about countries opening up, regions opening up for travel. Uh, how will that uh, play out? Have we forever changed uh, as far as travel goes? And both of those authors felt that we will. Uh, that there will be new measures taken. And and, uh, I had them on a recent show, and I questioned them on that. And I thought, well, why would we make all these changes for this virus when we didn't make any changes for other viruses that are, you know, pretty deadly like the flu, for instance. So uh, this one's special, though, and it's really got people's imaginations. And I think it's the the reaction that we've had across the world, you know, with the lockdowns and, and the constant coverage.
0: Yeah, I know. I traveled um, to Africa, to southern Africa, during the last um, big, uh, not the most recent, Ebola outbreak. There was one in the, I think the Congo not that long ago, which was pretty quickly contained, but the really bad one. Um, and people were freaking out because uh, my husband and I were going to Africa in the middle of Ebola. But didn't actually i think understand the geography that Africa is a huge huge continent, and it was like yeah. us going to Philadelphia and the Ebola was in uh, the Pacific Ocean off of California, but even still, we went through um temperature checks and uh, things in both South Africa and on the ground in Botswana so you know i we were I was thinking about that as a um, you know how much more onerous uh, will it get uh, if this pandemic isn't contained or if a vaccine or treatment art isn't developed in the, you know, in the future of a year yeah. or so.
2: And I'll, I'll, there is another flip side of looking at it though. And, you know, as you get time to look back and look at the numbers and think about it statistically and try to be rational with something that really doesn't let you be rational because you want to be so emotional But uh, I think we just hit a point with the number of cases equals what the typical annual flu case count is. It just hit that. And the death count is not double of what the typical flu death count is. Uh, Also, the number of deaths that we have are disproportionately impacting people over 65 years of age, and especially those that are 80 years old and on up. So this is less deadly for younger people than the flu, and and yet, you know, as we learn these things, I think eventually people will uh, begin to think about what should the proper response be and what should the precautions be that we take. Uh, certainly having a vaccine will will make a big difference, too.
0: Yeah, and but, and I think the other yeah. thing is that over time we'll have more information because right now we're not especially in the United States where we're unfortunately the leader um, that in cases and, and deaths that, um, you know, yeah. it needs months yet to play out. And so that comparison to the flu may or may not be valid uh, until all In the end. Yeah. yeah. I'm
1: sorry, yeah, I'm just Joe, saying no, at this,
2: we've just hit, that, we just hit that point. So, yeah, how far through this are we? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, I I think one thing we have to all acknowledge is that change is inevitable. In, in <laughs> we're, we're going to have to change. <laughs> As we mentioned earlier, inevitable? let's get back to the book. <laughs> As we mentioned earlier, you not only edited the collection, but also contributed. And your essay is titled The Various Economic Impacts of COVID-19. Now, we've already seen some of these impacts, and they've been you know, on TV and on the news every night. Um, that deal with unemployment, huge highs, like flagship stores like JCPenney and Neiman Marcus declaring bankruptcy. But your focus goes beyond the immediate situation and looks to the future. And can you tell us a little bit more about your essay?
2: Yeah, so the difficulty with economics right now is um, on the one hand you have Industries or businesses that were already on the brink or struggling, this accelerates that demise. So a brick and mortar, this or that, whatever, you know, different kinds of retailers, uh, businesses that have been in decline are not likely to, to survive and that this is going to wipe them out. Now, the problem with that from an economic standpoint is you have what's called structural unemployment and so in the past you you never had 100% employment ever in an economy because there's always a few percentage points of people that don't have the skills, the education, the ability to get the job that's open. And when you suddenly mm-hmm. drive a bunch of businesses, you know, into uh I mean, demise and and there's no retraining of those people into other other jobs, are, you're going to see a higher level of structural unemployment. So you're going to see a higher unemployment rate for some time. Mm-hmm. It's not going to come back down to three real fast. It's probably going to sit around five or six for some time. So a lot of your uh, retailers who had a big brick-and-mortar presence, especially you know your anchor stores in the malls or stores that depend on being in a shopping mall, are likely gone forever and but those that can adopt and those that have a strong online presence likely continue to do okay and uh, mm-hmm. will still be in the marketplace. The, there's an ancillary effect I write about, which is the real estate impact, So, especially commercial real estate. Oh, so play yeah. this out. So now you have you know, maybe 10 20% of your brick-and-mortar businesses uh, mm-hmm. declaring bankruptcy. or or not able to pay their rent. So that really makes commercial real estate a stressed uh, situation. The other side of commercial real estate is the whole office space question. So Sunbury Press, for instance, we don't have any brick-and-mortar office space anymore. We got rid of that three or four years ago. A lot of companies still have a lot of brick-and-mortar office space, and they just went through an era here for a couple months where everybody was working from home or just about everybody. And uh, so the question will be, well, are they all going to come back to the office? Are they going to, you know, when you have to do the social distancing, is it going to be 50 percent capacity and half people work from home and you switch off or how is that going to work? And I think the longer term effect of that is people will learn to work from home more, depend on that more. Companies will realize that that's still a viable way to get work done. And I can save a lot of money by not having that office space and having people work from home. So you start to play that out and there's a lot of other impacts there um, that, you know, about restaurants and, you know, dry cleaning and driving. And so if people aren't commuting to work and having to get dressed for work, you know, you can have a uh, somewhat of an impact on on those businesses too. So it, one of the things to be concerned about with all this is we're in a we're we're fighting off a deflationary cycle it's like the airplane is heading towards the ground at an incredible (laughs) rate and we're running out of instruments and and controls to, to pull the nose up and avoid a crash but you know we're used we used everything we could to try to keep that plane flying and you know, we're really at a point where we're trying to prevent deflation because deflation is a death spiral in an economy. And we're seeing deflation. You saw what happened with oil. Have you ever heard of oil going negative in price? I mean, that's
0: just—I know,
2: you, no, you, you can't make this up. <laughs> you know, no. how does that? I happen? thought oil I misread the
0: headline when I, <laughs> yeah. I saw that.
2: Well, that—that's a huge indicator of deflation, and. That's a very scary situation because if prices are going down and people aren't buying, that means there's no demand. And so, why should people buy? Because the price is going down. We should just wait. And then that feeds itself. So, that's why your economies are always set up to have a little bit of inflation and a little bit of competition and price pressure because it makes it a more immediate um, demand and, and keeps an economy humming. So, the federal. Reserve and the, the government, the federal government, is also uh, you know doing fiscal intervention as much as possible, you know, giving us money in our bank accounts, uh, lowering interest rates to near zero, uh, extending bank loan uh, ratios, and it's all about trying to get more money into the economy. This is a natural way to cause inflation and to, to help increase demand, but you know, is it working? I don't know. And when you have that much money going in the economy, it, it, in the past, you would say it would be incredible inflation at some point. So, you know, once you, that's, once you let it out, how do you control it? So, yeah. hopefully, that doesn't. And happen that's yet. how
1: this virus is different. Yeah. It, it brought oh, yeah. our economy to a stop. It sure did.
0: So you. You've made me get this vision of Ted striker in the movie airplane when he starts sweating buckets. Uh, <laughs> maybe nobody else likes the movie airplane like I do, but it just is that is after like... I ate the lamb <laughs> <laughs> heading toward the ground. <laughs> well, that's not very, uh, rosy, but, uh, talked a little bit um you you mentioned uh we were going to ask you about the the Amazon why they had uh refused to to publish the the book at first and it sounds like it was more a lack of information on their part or a, a misunderstanding i guess maybe would be the best way to to say it but um i i think you know it maybe you could comment a little bit about being a trailblazer because uh this you know, Sunbury got this out so quickly um, in the midst of this pandemic where people are really thinking more about the here and now, not so much the future. Uh, Was that sort of an unusual experience? Uh, What are your thoughts on that, being a pioneer?
2: Well, I know that Amazon's response was just a – standard, anything that has COVID-19 in the title uh, is is not allowed to be published. So they were censoring that because there were hundreds if not thousands of people that were slapping together COVID-19 books by taking information from the CDC or from wherever else and creating little guidebooks. So Amazon was suppressing that and that meant we had to break through that and the question was well do we still tr- call it covid-19 or do we call it something else and i decided just to uh call it what it is
0: and, uh-huh. and
2: push it through and i thought if they censor us i'm going to complain and we can rally around that and uh, point it out you know their their issue that their their blanket censorship really um was harming us so fortunately we got past that and you know i don't know that is so much being a pioneer as it is just being quick to market. It was a very difficult um you know thing to do. You know, I mentioned Crystal's uh, incredible contribution by organizing that and formatting it and you know, then we all had to proofread it and and I, I Yeah hope it was I all hands on deck, huh? Yeah, everybody collaborated. So it was really a team effort. And I have to hand it to everybody for, you know, turning around their Their piece really quick. So when um, I, I did the the line editing, and then Crystal would format, and we get it back to them for proofing, and everybody was really good about that. So,
1: well, well it certainly is a timely topic. The, this pandemic has caused so much upheaval in our lives. Like over 1.5 million people sick in the United States, and over 90,000 dead and counting, with over 100,000 deaths projected. And the numbers keep on climbing. Worldwide, you know, over 4 million people have contacted COVID-19 and over 300,000 have died. And many of us know people and family members who've contracted the disease, which brings the statistics right, you know, to our very front door. So a lot of us are really anxious about being quarantined. And, you know, many have been laid off work and uh, they have to risk their health and going to work. And our health care system has been overburdened. And the flaws of our preparedness and over this pandemic is, I think, has been exposed. A uh, Vaccine is likely 18 months away, and experts say this virus is not going anywhere anytime soon. And people are divided, you know, over whether the public health or personal free- freedom should determine whether we reopen or not. Um, and it seems to be up to the governors. They can't seem to agree. Uh, many people say a really bleak feature. So how would you characterize the collective tone of the essays? Bleak, hopeful, or a mixed bag?
2: Oh, I think they're all mostly hopeful. And I I think we, uh, there's an old saying, this too shall pass. And when you look at the history, we, we opened the book with some essays about pandemics in the past. So they're very instructive. Yeah, they were terrible. Terrible things happened. millions died uh horrendous situations. Mm-hmm. no, they didn't shut down uh, um, you know they didn't they just forged ahead and had a much much worse uh outcome. but the main lesson from the past is that these things last maybe a year, maybe two at the most. You know sometimes there's a rebound and and then they seem to go away, so they are cyclical. And, yeah, we're in the midst of a few months, really bad months, and this is going to continue for some time. How we learn from it and react to it, you know, that, that's what we do best as human beings is we adapt quickly. And I think you're seeing some of this as more is learned and we figure things out, we will, uh, we will innovate. And Chris Fenwick ends the book with a whole chapter on innovation. So innovation in many ways, business processes that will change, behaviors that will change, and we will survive and we'll come out of this and we'll be stronger. So that that's sort of the ultimate message. The other thing is I think all of us were so disappointed with the partisanship, the back and forth and misinformation. Like a lot of the left-wing channels, just bashing mm-hmm. the president and all the <laughs> saying that the president's lying and all this and that. Yet it's his officials and <laughs> the government that are, you know, running things for him and advising him. And then the people on the right screaming that, you know, we got to open things up today. And you know, it just it's just so unnecessary and so unhealthy. And we just wanted and to chaotic, yeah, yeah, and just wanted to get a vision out there for. A dose of reality, like, hey, this is what's happening, and this is like where we think it's going, and you need to start thinking about that. So get your head out of, oh, my God, there's 90,000 people dead, and i got to wear a mask, and start thinking, okay, I've got money here. I've got real estate. I want to accomplish these things. I can't put my life on hold forever. How am I going to do what I need to do. And, uh, let's say I was planning a trip to Africa. Oh, well, I'm not going to be able to do that now. I'm going to need to come up with some other activity to pass my time, some other way to contribute. Uh, you know, I know in my family, we had a couple of trips to Europe planned this summer that went around high school graduations. We were excited about, couldn't do that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's about adapting and shifting gears and, and, uh, adjusting.
0: Exactly, well, you know- you've both mentioned the the upheaval that this has created in both our society and the economy um and as part of that um, as we're winding up we we don't want to forget that Sunbury Press is a business as well. You've still got readers reading, um hopefully buying books, authors writing. I know I just submitted my newest manuscript. To you guys this this week, um, how's the pandemic the pandemic affecting publishing in general and Sunbury in particular?
2: Well, a couple ways. To the
0: extent it that you want to share, book. I mean, you know, just at a very yeah. high level.
2: It killed the bookstore business for sure. At least uh, you know, put that on hold. So initially, we got a bunch of returns. Then we weren't shipping anything to bookstores. The only thing that was selling were eBooks. And some nonfiction, and so we shifted gears really quickly, where we got our backlist ebooks out rapidly, and so we were adjusting you know the way we were publishing to uh, shift gears and, and address that uh, obviously, there was a revenue impact, a pretty big one, and you know we were looking at how do we how do we get through this. You know, all the questions you have to ask, do we have to lay off staff? Do we have to uh, go on, you know, shut down for a while? You know, all these questions come to mind. And then Mm -hmm. the Small Business Administration came along with a a really nice uh, plan and opportunity, so we took advantage of that. And actually, as we uh, worked through this, we were able to keep all the staff on and keep going. Uh, The bounce back has started to happen. And our balance sheet's actually stronger than it's been in years. So Hmm. uh, right now, as long as there's a bounce back, we'll be fine. If this has a second dip down or a really bad uh, slow drag for a long time, you know, that'll wear us down again. But I'd say right now we're positioned to do well, and uh, we're ready for whatever's next.
1: Well, that's optimistic. That's good more um, wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast today to inform our listeners about this book uh, after the pandemic visions of life after covid 19 and uh, I think it would be um, you know a good idea that a lot of readers out there with that might answer some of their questions Is there anything else you'd like to share with us like you know on our audience about the book or where they can buy it <clears throat> I know you have it right Sunbury and amazon but
2: yeah. Yeah, no, uh, you can the book is available wherever books are sold. And uh if you buy it on Amazon, it helps our Amazon ranking. If you buy it from us, it will we'll have more to donate to charity. So, your choice. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, we really appreciate the attention that it's gotten so far. And don't forget that we have 700 other titles at sunburypress.com. <laughs> so, just have to put that plug in as well. <laughs> Especially oh, the Milford good. House Mysteries. I got quite a oh, few uh, great detective thrillers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the plug. <laughs> uh, that's a double <laughs> My pleasure. That's great. <laughs> well,
0: um, I, I think we've sort of reached the end of our time for today. Um, best of luck, Lawrence, to you and, and all the Sunbury authors uh, who did a, a yeoman's job. Uh, in uh, coming up with their thoughts uh, and doing it all so quickly uh, for the book, After the Pandemic, Visions of Life After COVID-19. Um, I'd like to think um, that there's, and I think the number one on Amazon probably uh, confirms this, that there's a lot of people out there now hungry for thoughts and answers about how our lives will change going forward because I think most people know that um, it's not going to be quite the same. So thank you for joining us.
1: You're welcome. Glad to be here. And I'm going to try it again. I think change is inevitable. But a reminder to all our readers and listeners that all our books are available at Sunbury Press's online bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online retailers and bookstores. And a special thanks to you all for listening to the Milford House Mysteries. We hope you enjoyed our program. It was especially informative because our publisher um, came forth to discuss the, the new uh, collaborative book, After the Pandemic. Visions of the Life Post-COVID-19. Um, so our next podcast is on June 11th at 2.30 p.m. Sherry and I will tackle the topic, Staying on Track, Writing During a Pandemic.
0: In the meantime, you can listen to any of our previous Milford House Mysteries podcasts that you may have missed. Just search for them on the BookSpeak Network um, at www.blogtalkradio. Um, Under episodes And please follow us personally on social media I'm on the web at www.SherryNolton.com And of course Facebook, Twitter, and now even Instagram
1: And I'm on Facebook.com Slash Carlisle Crime Cases by J.M. West And my new website is www.CarlisleCrimeCases.com All lower letters lowercase letters and thanks again to our publisher um, for uh, coming on Milford House Mysteries and so until next time
0: see you all then or I guess we won't see you we'll be talking to you all then and once again thanks Lawrence Knorr for joining us today